0: Alright guys, welcome to another episode of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Today we have a special show for you. We have a special guest today and her name is Jessica. She's my lovely wife. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Jessica.
1: Hi everyone.
0: Alright, so tell everyone why you wanted to come and do a podcast with me today.
1: Well, I um, wanted to help contribute to um, your new podcast and... The only thing I have to contribute is to talk about murder.
0: Oh, really? That's that's awesome. <laughs> and so is this going to be a live murder? Like, am I going to get... Is this going to be gonna the get, end of the Polator Podcast?
1: <laughs> you're going to get murdered on air oh, right God. now. It's a special right. treat for everyone. Okay.
0: <laughs> but then, then you won't know how to go on Anchor and... And uh, play it for everyone
1: and post it I'll, I can YouTube it okay don't worry, don't worry about it
0: okay all right <laughs> all right so um so you can contribute murder so explain your obsession with murder tell everyone
1: well I had an idea of doing I don't know an episode, a joint episode with you and I figured that there had to have been some sort of murders surrounding baseball or involved in baseball and I felt like this was my way to help. Um, contribute. And I feel like, I don't know, maybe there's some listeners out there that want to know about murder and baseball.
0: Right. Because I mean, murder is like a pretty popular thing. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, huge. I know, you know, you, you listen to the My Favorite Murder podcast, and um, we went to go see them live, right? And we did at at the Beacon Theater. We did. Yeah, that was awesome. So they discuss uh, murders, their favorite murders. And you got into that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've been watching um, or listening to their podcast and a couple other podcasts and <clears throat> IDTV, Investigative Discovery, and um, mo- movies about murder and um, you hear Olive snoring. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's that uh, little pug <laughs> making all that noise.
1: She's passed out.
0: I um, remember but- um, the first time I went to your apartment in Point Pleasant, you had a... Uh, Oh, one book I saw on your bookshelf was um, Famous Murders. And I was like, oh, this is an interesting book to have next to like a yeah, book of like... dreams and a journal and all that. And in <laughs> Nintendo, there was a book about murderers. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm just brushing up on all the details <laughs> and all the facts I can get about murders so I can either get away with, with it or escape it yeah okay interesting
0: okay so let's discuss who you found
1: i um did the murder of lyman bostock jr um
0: okay tell everyone about lyman bostock jr
1: okay so a lot of this information i got from an espn article called um fifth and jackson fifth and jackson by jeff perlman um a saber article by tim canaten and um good old wikipedia so, this is the murder of Lyman Bostock, Jr. He played Major League Baseball for four seasons with the Minnesota Minnesota Twins and the California Angels. It's the Twins, right?
0: It's the Twins, okay. yeah.
1: Okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so, I obviously, I don't know much about baseball, but correct me if I'm off on anything. No, of
0: course. You're okay. getting better, though. I okay.
1: mean, I'm brushing up. It's always I'm on. I'm learning a so, lot.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> okay. Lyman Bostock Jr. was born on November 22nd, 1950, in Birmingham, Alabama. His parents, Annie and Lyman Sr., split shortly after he was born, and he was primarily raised by his mom. Um, he and his mom eventually moved to Gary, Indiana, when Lyman was four years old. One. He was known by everyone in his family to be a mischievous little boy with quick feet and a goofy laugh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, fun fact, his dad, Lyman Sr., was a talented first baseman for the Birmingham Black Barons and the Chicago American Giants. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. back in the day.
0: That was in the day where they couldn't play with, uh, the white ball players, yeah, right? It was, yeah,
1: they, it was all segregated and stuff. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's yep. rough. Yep. Um, but he, um, actually didn't teach, uh, Junior to play ball at all. He said that, um or people had, had said that his talent must have been passed down through his genes because he left Lyman Jr. when he was just two years old and they were estranged for Lyman's entire life. Lyman Sr. did try to reconnect with Jr. when he made the majors, but Jr. wanted no part of him. He was, yeah, he was you over
0: it. Sh- Usually, the way how it goes, right? Yeah, once you close up. Now you want to me because yeah. I'm going to make money and yeah. I'm famous. Yep. Terrible.
1: So back um, rewind, back in nineteen fifty eight at eight years old, Lyman's mother, Annie, she moved them to Los Angeles with seven dollars to her name. Um, and that is I wrote equivalent to sixty three dollars in today's money. Wow.
0: Yeah. I can't even Across can you imagine country. I can't even like no. picture going out with and, with and only sixty sixty three dollars. People just got up and moved and wanted a the better whole life, life. And here.
1: they're and they're And her kid. Yeah. Nuts. Amazing. Um, She immediately found work as a technician in a hospital and worked there for the next 20 years of her life. Wow. Yeah, amazing. Um, About the same time, when Lyman was 8 years old, his mom bought him his first glove. Unfortunately, the very next day, someone stole it. She wasn't able to buy him a replacement, but a friend gave her um, a glove that he could use. The only issue... Um, it was a left-handed glove, and Lyman was right-handed, so he used it anyway, and basically just made it work. He started doing what they called he a played... Willie Mays-style basket catch. Yes. What is that?
0: Uh, I'll show you with my hand. It's basically instead of catching the ball like this with your with your glove over your face and um, making a secure catch with two hands like this. Yeah. Like clenching the. The palm into the glove, you would go like this, almost like a guy is receiving like a an, punt.
1: Okay, like an underhand. In football.
0: Yeah, like an underhand. Okay. Um. Yeah, so. Basket catch. Yeah, basically because he had to.
1: He had to adjust.
0: Yeah, he had to adjust because he was using a different, of uh, a uh, right hander's, I mean, a left hander's glove. Yeah, and he was wow. right, righty. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, well, the-
1: pretty cool right yeah, yeah he did he did and he you know even though he learned that at 8 years old he continued to do that throughout his entire career
0: what do the bat to catch yeah so yeah. cool yeah um, that's awesome
1: they said he also batted left handed and um, many people said that his fielding was absolutely impressive throughout his, his career that's great yeah alright so going back um, Lyman went to high school in LA he became a first baseman as a senior some people said that he wasn't an eye-popping ball player but he was extremely determined and wanted to make it his career
0: yeah yeah. Okay. yeah so you got the guys who are who are usually really good and they not put in like less effort but they they, they bank on their skills and then you get the players who need you know like need to go all out in order to be just as good as those players Don't yeah. you? just to be seen
1: yep yeah um, he was recruited to go to college to play for what is now known as the California State University. Um, he met his wife, Euveen um, at freshman orientation, and he knew from the start that they would be together. Um, he didn't play baseball, though, for the first two years of college, even though he was recruited. He focused his energy on student activism. Um, and even though he didn't play, he was selected in the amateur draft by the St. Louis or St. Louis Cardinals, um, but he declined to sign with them and stayed in college and to finally play ball with the coach that actually recruited him. Um, and at that point, he helped lead the Matador Matadors to back-to-back um, NCAA Small College Division national championships. Wow! Okay. Yeah yeah
0: so he was a winner pretty cool yeah
1: yeah even though he didn't play like the first two years they still wanted him
0: that's great it's yeah. a great team name too the Matadors Matadors yeah Yeah. I always thought I could be a Matador <laughs>
1: yeah
0: yeah what do you think it doesn't look I mean it looks like the bull is always fooled yeah by the red thing right yeah or no
1: The I mean the bull knows he the knows bull what he's going for yeah
0: so, like, he knows he's part of the entertainment? Yeah. He knows this is what I do and it's cool?
1: No. Well, I no? don't think he's a part of it, no. Okay. I, I don't <laughs> think he has any, any idea.
0: <laughs> Retract uh, that statement. Do you think that's something you could put on a resume? That
1: like, you're a matador? Yeah. I like, mean... If you're going to be... You have a, to be really quick with your legs.
0: What if you were going to like be an accountant for like, you know, Google? Like would you like put that hey, hey, it was a matador? It's pretty impressive. Like I think if any like Sure, if, I yeah, think you can I make think if I was hiring a person and interviewing them, they told me they were a matador, I'd pretty much hire them.
1: Yeah, well I, I yeah. feel like it shows that you can make um, decisions on the fly like really quick. <laughs> yes. Because okay. if I like if you don't you might die. I like it. Right? Okay. hundred percent. Right. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Back to it. Um, So in 1972, he was selected by the Minnesota Twins and decided to turn professional. He played in the minor leagues from 72 to 74. Um, And I don't know, do you have any um, numbers on him in the minor leagues? I do have some
0: numbers on here from 72 to part of 75. He started the 75 season in the minor league and then he got called up to the major leagues. In the minor league, he was awesome. He hit... uh, he hit over three twenty for his career in the minors. Um, every year he got better with power. Every year he was better with speed and average, and he got on base at um, a at a four hundred clip, which means basically every ten times at bat he would get on base four times, which is pretty remarkable. So there's there's definitely a reason why the Twins brought him up in such short time in the minors.
1: Yeah, is that considered a short time? From only p- playing like what three years before he was promoted. Yeah, that's um, you know, probably
0: around slightly less than average, okay. I think. So yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a good that's a good track though. Okay, that's a good arc. All right. Yeah. Well, in
1: 1975, I have that he was promoted to the major leagues and played for the Twins until 1977.
0: Yes, correct.
1: So, do you have the Twins' major league stats?
0: I do. Okay. I have some, you know, pretty impressive stats for. Uh, for Bostock in 1976 and 77 were his two best years in 76 he batted 323 with um, he only had four home runs but he had 12 stolen bases um, and then in 1977 he really stepped it up he went up to 336 average which was third in the league behind his teammate Rod Carew which is one of the best hitters of all time and number two with Dave Parker who was another great hit he also had 104 runs 90 RBIs 16 stolen bases Um, all above average numbers right there for that time. And he also had a five war. And what war is, is a metric they made called wins above replacement. So um, that basically, if someone were to replace him in the lineup as a replacement level player, his five war represents that he was um, five wins better than that next level guy. Pretty valuable to a major league team now. So that's a pretty good season. Um, In that season too, he also... Same thing, on-base percentage was near 400. So, uh, again, he was getting on-base 4 out of 10 times. And so in the um, 76 to 78, he was 3rd in average overall, um, 21st in, in in runs scored, and 18th in on-base percentage. And so uh, he had a pretty good run of 3 years being one of the best hitters in the league. Cool. Yeah.
1: All right. <clears throat> so I'll just tell you, though, in 1977, he only made $20,000. $20,000? $20,000 $20, for his best year in the league. Wow. Yeah, $20,000. Um, but I, I will say, though, that him and his wife, Yuveen, they lived simply. They had a one-bedroom apartment. They owned an $11,000 Saab. Um, and he had. He was um, quoted to say that mere materialistic values, some people have a need for that in life. Some people have always dreamed of owning a boat. I enjoy riding in a boat. Some people want fancy cars. But the way I look at it, a car can do two things. It can take you and it could bring you.
0: I like this guy. Yeah. He He's seems, humble. Yeah. He yeah. Is. He seems like my kind of guy that I would want on my well, team. Well,
1: I mean and you well, think about it, Yeah, his mom over. raised him when well, she brought him over with seven dollars yeah. in her pocket. Like yeah. he knew what it was worth. Like of he knew
0: He knew the value of it. Yeah, money.
1: he really did. That's why this one's hard, you know.
0: I can't, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready for it. Yeah, but it's ahead. rough. All
1: right. So after 1977 season ended, Bostock became one of baseball's earliest big money free agents.
0: Interesting. And yeah. what year was
1: that? Uh, after the 77 season. Yeah, so this. between 77 and 78.
0: And you know that's pretty much when like the um the modern free agency period started i heard yeah i read yeah uh, yeah i mean in, in 1975 actually um two pitchers pitched without a contract and at the end of the year um three arbitrators um awarded them that they could be free agents and signed with any team really and that was that was a uh, that that was a breakthrough and was then it- yeah
1: i'm sorry but was that the free agent draft like because they don't do that now right i heard no
0: they don't do that well which what which i was going to explain sorry um marvin miller who was the head of the players association um he decided that uh as representing the players the players needed a little more flexibility and not be um so tied up into one team or organization without any flexibility and um getting extra pay or, you know, trying to test test the waters and see if other teams valued your service a little better. So he came up with a system that um, if you had a minimum of six years in the league and your contract expired, then you would be eligible mm-hmm. to be part of what was called um, the free agency at first. It wasn't just like, hey, I want to go, you know, I want to go play with the Yankees. Yeah. It was actually a free um, agency. Like a re-entry draft, they yes, called it. Yes, um, Yeah, so basically the teams had to draft your bargaining rights in order to even make a bid for you. Yeah. So they had a rule that you could be drafted by up to 12 teams maximum, and if a player was drafted by three or more teams, only those teams can discuss a contract with him. Right. But if you were only bid on by two or fewer teams, then he then then you had a right to discuss a contract with anybody that you wanted to. Cool. So yeah, it was yeah. it was a pretty big breakthrough. Yeah. At the time.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It seems like it was like in the players' favor.
0: Yes, it definitely was. And you know yeah. what? A lot of the players wanted no like structure. They just wanted to be free at all times. But Marvin Miller, who was really so pivotal, he decided that um if anyone was a free agent at any time, it would, like, oversaturate the market and compress the salaries. Sure. So then with, like, a threshold, it became that fewer players at a time would be free agent, and that they would demand higher contracts. And okay. he was 100% right about that. Like, you know, that's a really key point in baseball for the players. Yeah. So he was a free agent in 77. He became one.
1: Yeah, he became a free agent in, um... In 77, um, he was one of the first big money free agents. And how much
0: did he sign for?
1: Well, wait, hold on. All right, all right, sorry. (laughs) He was selected by eight different teams in the first round of the free agent draft. Okay, wow. Big time. Um, Lyman said that he would have signed with the Twins, but after issues with the owner, he decided it was best to move on. I think the owner wasn't really offering him anything close to what he had wanted. I don't know the specifics about what he offered him, but Mm -hmm. um, I know that they had some issues, so he was like, yeah, I'm out. Um, But he liked the team, and he did want to stay. Anyway, so he received generous offers from the Yankees, but he declined it. Um, I don't think... Well, you know what? That's speculation. I can't say whether he wanted to move to the East, but I have a feeling from what I read that he didn't really want to move on, because it wasn't like... um, it wasn't a shy offer. Like, it was pretty generous. Okay. He also received an offer from the San Diego Padres with a bonus of McDonald's franchise locations. <gasps> yeah. They, so
0: they were going to give him McDonald's? They were going to give like, him run?
1: multiple McDonald's wow. locations.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. So- I'm guessing maybe the owner had some. Yeah, he wow.
1: he owned McDonald's. Or he
0: was just gonna yeah. like buy him a couple of franchise. Like that's pretty. That's a really cool. Yeah, it's a yeah. different. Well, it
1: gives you life after baseball, right? Yeah. If you own franchises, then you have something after baseball's done. Absolutely. Unfortunately, he didn't make that. Yeah. No. Yeah, it sucks. Um, he did wind up declining that offer too. Um, Lyman eventually signed with the Ca- California Angels for okay. two point three million dollars wow. in April of nineteen seventy eight. And I did a raise, yeah. twenty
0: thousand to two million.
1: Yeah, I know. A- um, I did a little like equivalent to today's money. It would be about nine point five million. I know that that's probably not the same as far as like skill and draft wise, but just to You know, 2.3 is huge for the 1978. Huge. You said 9 million. I said 9.5 million in today's money. All right. So, um, at the beginning of 78, he felt the weight and the pressure of this big dollar contract. Um, It was a super slow start with the Angels. And by slow, I mean I have that he was only batting about a 150 the entire month of April. Yeah,
0: 147. That's rough. Yeah, he even had more. And what
1: what did he come from? Like he came from what?
0: At... Three uh, in seventy seven, he had yeah. three thirty six. Wow! So it was it's a it big was drop off. Severo drop off. Yeah, he even had more court stealing than stolen bases. So he something was up.
1: Yeah, he felt well, the pressure of the it money. It was the pressure of the money, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know he came from this humble life, and now yeah. he had all this money, and he felt like he had to be a certain standard of player, and obviously like he couldn't handle it in a way. Of course. Um, and he wanted to. He he wanted to show that he was like worthy of it he just it was rough
0: or maybe he was thinking about mcdonald's i mean
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right so um he was obviously humiliated by his performance that he actually um, asked to give back his first month's salary feeling as though he didn't deserve it he said that who is this guy? I know, exactly. Listen to me. He said, he was quoted. I just watched a YouTube video of him saying this. It's insane. Um, he said, I'm not the type of person to take money if I'm not doing well, especially that type of money. I don't feel like I've, um, I gave Mr. Daughtry a month's worth of um, playing time. If I can't perform, then I don't deserve it. And that's it. Jeez. Yeah. The general. Well, What what were you going to say?
0: What a guy. No, I'm saying that's like, can you imagine someone saying that in this me era of the world? No way. No chance. Yeah. God bless him. The
1: general manager, I guess that's Mr. Daughtry. Um, And he's so nice. He was like referred to him as Mr. Daughtry um, the whole time. Anyway, or Autry. It's not Daughtry. It's Autry. Autry. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. I can't read my own handwriting. I yeah, I can't read it either. <laughs> um, but he said the general ma- manager basically said, no way, it's not happening. You're going to be fine. Like, I don't want your money. Um, So you're going to keep it. And he was basically saying the manager was like, well, you know, in two months when everything's fine and you're, you are you know, hitting back to normal like you were before or batting back to normal what you were before, then then what? I'm not going to give you your money back. Like, no, just like... You know, stick it out, you're gonna be fine. And he had confidence in him. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah,
0: he did. He believed in it. He did. He knew. Yeah, because two years trumps one month, you know. Like he had two years of skills. Right. Yeah. And you know what? It's funny you mention that because you know how baseball obviously is only playing sixty games this year. I've been talking about it with you constantly. Yeah. And um like there's only like gonna be about two and a half months of playing baseball and if someone bats 147 right now for the first month yeah they're gonna be out of a job it's
1: done because the teams
0: are gonna be like they don't have um baseball because it's so long it tends to normalize like sure like like what that guy was saying like i know you're gonna recover
1: yeah you'll be fine yeah so the general manager you know like i said he said no you're gonna be fine Um, So Lyman still didn't feel good about it, though. He started doing some researching, and he decided to donate $50,000 to charity. He also donated, and $50,000, I think, was about um, the amount, but listen, he also donated $10,000 to a church in his hometown in Alabama. Alabama is where he was born. He didn't even spend a lot of time there, but it was his hometown of, like, where his mom and dad was, like... He donated $10,000 to a church there so they could rebuild their Sunday school. He also donated money to his mother's church in L.A. He bought sports equipment for underprivileged kids in L.A. He donated to drug and alcohol recovery programs in L.A.
0: What an amazing guy.
1: Yeah, I, that's what I said. I said, overall, he seemed like a really good guy. Like, he wanted to get paid, but he also wanted to share his wealth. And it seemed like he really knew and understood the pressure of a $2.3 million contract. Like, he wanted to make it right. Wow. Um, and he knew he had to show up for it. And eventually, he did. Um, hmm. Yeah. Skip yeah. ahead two months, and his batting average pop, pop back up just like the manager said um, i have which you can clarify cuz i don't know if this is correct or not that he was at a 404 in june yep and a 296 in september
0: yeah he, he yeah
1: yeah so he was back
0: 100% from, yeah. 8, from may to september yeah, yeah he had 320 and then he ended up the season at a total of 296 yeah which is so, great
1: so it was fine life was good it was fine he bounced back just like the manager said he would, yep. and um, all was good um, until it wasn't. Oh boy. Until it wasn't good. Yeah. I'm not ready. It's bad. All right. So on September 23rd, 1978, after a game against the White Sox, he went to visit his uncle, Thomas Turner, Uncle Thomas Turner, in nearby Gary, Indiana. Now, Gary, Indiana is where he first moved to with his mom from Alabama. So they went from Alabama to Gary, Indiana um, before they moved to L.A. Anyway, um, this is where he used to live as a child. And he basically visited his uncle and his family every time they played the Sox. So after having dinner with his friends and family, Uncle Tom took Lyman to go visit a friend from high school. Her name was Joan Hawkins. He actually used to tutor Joan when they were... In school together, and they were younger. But he hadn't seen her in a while. Now, okay. yeah, Joan had a sister. Her name was Barbara Smith, um, and Barbara had been staying with Joan for a little while. And apparently, Barbara and her husband were having issues. They were separated. Things were not good, like okay. like at all. It all wasn't right. good. Um, I even had heard that they were on their way to a divorce. Um, maybe the proceedings had already started. I've read some conflicting articles as to where exactly they were, but it was not good okay um so after a short visit at Joan's house, Joan and Barbara asked Joan and Barbara asked Uncle Tom for a ride to their cousin's house, which was kind of across town, but it was before Uncle Tom's house, so it was almost like on the way home, can you drop me off at our or can you drop us off at our cousin's house? Okay It seemed like a really like casual ask um Unfortunately, what they didn't know. Barbara's soon-to-be ex-husband Leonard was sitting outside his sister-in-law's house, watching, like a creep. Like a creep. Like a creep. And
0: I'm a creep.
1: <laughs> now, Leonard. Um, Leonard was a 31-year-old unemployed steelworker. He has. Uh, he was known to have erratic behavior, and had also an extensive police record. He and Barbara had a tumultuous marriage. It was said to be full of jealousy, violence, and physical abuse. The whole thing, it just wasn't good at all. Um, After a conversation earlier in the day between Barbara and Leonard, Barbara told Leonard it was completely over, never going to happen, it's done. Um, So, what does Leonard do? He decided to pull up in front of Joan's house with a loaded shotgun on his lap and wait. Yeah, it's bad. He was watching the house for um, an unknown amount of time. Um, But later, he had claimed that he was going to try to take her out on one last date to win her back. So we can only imagine where that one last date was going to end up. Yeah. Or how it was going to go. No bueno. No bueno. Yeah. Um, So Leonard happened to see... Uncle Tom, Lyman, Joan, and Barbara get into a car and assumed his estranged wife was cheating on him with Lyman because of the way that they had gotten into the car. So from what I read, um, Uncle Tom was in the front and um, Joan was in the passenger side seat and Lyman um, got behind Uncle Tom and then Barbara was on the right side in the back seat. So, why I think that they got into the car that way was so when Joan got out, she could just lift the seat and Barbara could climb out of the back. As opposed to, like, Lyman getting out and then the girls, both the girls having to try to get out. Right. Um. Anyway, it doesn't really matter seating arrangements. It's
0: it, No, I mean, it's a pretty crazy motive.
1: Yeah, it's really... Like the way
0: you get into a car.
1: Yeah, it could change your entire life. It's,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything. This whole thing. You know, and it's so crazy too because, you know, the um, the manager or whoever's in charge of the baseball players like at the field, um, he allowed Lyman to go see his family, and he didn't have to. Apparently, like he could have made all the guys stay at the hotel, like, when they're playing and stay, like, in the area. Right, and the he, team
0: hotel. Yeah, yeah,
1: and he let him go out because he knew that he was close to his family, and he was. Like, this was just, like, an innocent, like, night out.
0: Yeah, and at the manager, too, you could probably look and, like, if you know you're, like, a player, might be a little prone to like oh this guy's gonna look to go out and maybe yeah. not be ready to play tomorrow but right. he was probably the type of guy where he knew okay he's good you know good family guy good right. guy yeah i trust like him he, yeah, yeah. he's not gonna go out and and be not ready to party uh not ready to play tomorrow
1: yeah all right so i said that um you know it was all because of the seating arrangements in the car but it In reality, Lyman had just met Barbara 20 minutes earlier. He was not having an affair with her. There was no connection whatsoever. I mean, he was just kind of reconnecting with Joan after all of these years of not seeing her. Right. And even that was completely innocent from what I've read. Um, So apparently Leonard, the crazy, or not the crazy, the jealous ex-husband, pulled pulled out and followed Uncle Tom's car. Um, They had pulled up to a red stoplight, at 5th and Jackson. Leonard got out of his car and he pointed a loaded shotgun into the back seat of Uncle Tom's car and fired.
0: Oh, man.
1: Yeah. He shot Lyman Bostock Jr. directly in his temple. Lyman was rushed to the hospital but died two hours later. He was only 27 years old. Fuck. Yeah. It's bad.
0: That's horrible. Horrible.
1: Really horrible. 27 years old. Yeah. He had his whole life in front of him. Man. Uh Leonard and we're gonna get to the trial.
0: Did anyone oh, I was gonna say, yeah. did anyone else get shot or just him?
1: Um Barbara was um hit by shrapnel, pellet shrapnel from the shotgun blast. Um but she was listed as sta- in stable condition from um from the get go. She was basically unharmed. I mean, um Leonard had said that he was aiming for her, but um he he shot Lyman directly in the head. Yeah. So um yeah
0: sounds like you
1: were aiming for yeah right all right so at the trial leonard smith was tried twice for murder he had a smooth-talking quick-witted defense attorney and he said that barbara's alleged infidelity called caused leonard to go insane and that's why he shot lyman yeah the first trial resulted in a hung jury really yeah tell me about it he shot a guy in his head and it was a hung jury The second trial, um, Leonard pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Leonard was committed to a psychiatric ward and deemed no longer mentally ill after seven months. Really? Not joking.
0: So he didn't go to jail?
1: Listen, he was then released after the seven months in a psychiatric ward. you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. He served zero jail time, besides whatever um, time that he was locked up during the trial. I think the total time, including the psychiatric ward, was only, like, it was less than 18 months. What a disaster. Disaster. Now listen to me, though. Um, A fun fact... I have if there could ever be a fun fact There's about no, this. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, the fun fun is over, the but fun no. Is over. <laughs> Listen, this is one fun fact. Indiana actually changed their insanity laws after this trial specifically.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, so Bostock is just I mean, he really, you know, he was part of history for that town. I mean, yeah, many in a reasons. bad way, but I mean. Yeah. Oh, that's that's Yeah.
1: Well, now you can claim insanity and be found guilty at the same time.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. I got Yeah, so you. if
1: you're cured from your insanity, if you're magically cured from your insanity and released, then you still have to serve some sort of prison sentence after you're released. Right, um, right. So at least there's that. Yes. I mean, there has to be something that comes out of this that's slightly positive. Um, so Lyman was considered one of baseball's elite hitters of that time. Ron Schuler, who was a former big league Twins pitcher, said everything about his skill and approach made it perfectly clear that he would be winning a batting title one day. He was that good. In his eulogy, Angel's teammate, Ken Brett, said this about Lyman. He enlivened our clubhouse, chasing the tension and drawing laughter into the darkest hour of our defeat. There's only one consolation. We were all better persons for having him touch our lives.
0: Oh, man. Yeah,
1: and that's the murder of Lyman Bostock. It's terrible
0: that is so terrible i mean especially hearing like how good of a person he was he was a
1: good described person. by everybody yeah and
0: um you just lose your life like that yeah. it's just i mean anyone you know obviously it doesn't have to be because he was a major league baseball player but yeah obviously we're showcasing murder in baseball and um that is one crazy story it is I mean, just entering the prime of his athletic life at 27 it's usually when you start putting it all together so yeah he yeah I mean that's that's just horrible
1: yeah and they um there's so many other details about it too that I had read um even just about like his wife finding out and she did an extensive interview she hadn't talked about it for years but she did an extensive interview and she had um said some things just about finding out and like how she called his mom and Him and his mom, or she and his mom, they, they went to go fly out to the hospital, and when they landed, somebody in the airport told her that her husband died. Like she didn't even get to the hospital yet, and how did that person know? I don't, because it was all there
0: wasn't Twitter then. No,
1: it's all over the news. I guess. Yeah. Who knows? It was a big deal that he got shot. Like there was people all over. Even the person that was in the bed next to him in the hospital did an interview and said how he heard what was going on, and he started freaking out, like his at Lyman Bostock next to me, and because of what people were saying, It's just it it devastated the whole town. It sounded like he was such a good person too. It makes me so sad.
0: Like, that that is that yeah. is very sad. I mean yeah. I that is a horrible story. Yeah. I mean
1: But people need to know and people need to hear about it because it sounds like as sad as it was, he was a good person and he had potential to be a great ball player.
0: Sounds like he was already good. He, yeah. He was definitely on the way to be great, but he was definitely already You know, more than stellar, you know, with those stats that he had and the money that he earned through the free agency. People saw the value in him. Yeah. And it sounded like everyone saw the value in him as a person also.
1: Yeah. The team was devastated, too. I mean...
0: I could imagine. Yeah. I mean, especially a guy, like, described by Shuler, like, as being a, a, a clubhouse guy, you know, that's usually the guys that make your team better, you know, and so many other facets besides being well-skilled you know yeah. like the ability to go and motivate your teammates and be, yeah. break the tension or break the mood or yeah, yeah those guys to, are coveted
1: they used to call him uh jibber jabber because he always was like quick with jokes or yeah. quick with just should just snap somebody like out of a bad mood to like bring them back Ugh. um yeah he had, he had the a good personality
0: Man, yeah. you really, uh, so yeah, you really, uh, killed Starting my off. mood for the whole night. Thank you for coming on and talking about this miserable situation, <laughs> but that, that was fun. I mean, yeah. I learned so much already. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, a quick, quick little brief intro to his life and then yeah. just finding out so many horrible things that happened to him. Yeah.
1: People need to know who he was.
0: Yeah. People definitely yeah. need to know who he was. Wow, this is this is amazing. So I'm interested to see if you found some. Oh, some I found o- more. You found more I've murders. Found more. I've okay. got like
1: a whole list going. All right. I already started researching my next one, and um. Really. Yeah, I okay. have a whole list of um baseball and murders. I mean, apparently there are some that like have happened where, you know, they were ballplayers first and they got murdered a little after. Okay, like um, post life. Yeah. Okay. Um, but.
0: Do, no. do you have any baseball players who murdered pe- other people?
1: I'm, I am don't know. You don't know? I have to go through my list. Okay. Yeah. Because so. I want,
0: I mean, that, that'll be a juicy one too. Yeah. You know?
1: Oh.
0: A player who killed someone while they were playing. They went postal? Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure it's not called postal. It's probably called something else. When you lose your mind and you're a baseball player. Baddie, going baddie. <laughs> <I'm so laughs>
0: I think that yeah, yeah that'll be the that'll be the title episode of that one. Going yeah. baddie for sure. Awesome.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, I'm out. You're out. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Done. That's all I got for you. On to the next one. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for coming on with you're me today. That was welcome. fun. Yeah, it was fun. All right. Are we gonna do it again? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. All right, you feel good about it. I do. I do.
1: I feel confident, and um,
0: you sound confident.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know nothing about these stats, but you're doing a good job helping explain it all. Yeah, this is great. Okay, all right, cool. Sounds good. All right. Okay. Jesus loves you. Goodbye.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Poll Hitter Podcast. If you have been listening to the podcast and you enjoy what you hear, a review on Apple Podcasts goes very far in helping other. Listeners find the Pullheader podcast and growing in our listenership to a wider audience. I know it's been a tough time in recent months with people being left unemployed with the coronavirus pandemic. But if you could support the podcast in any way, that would be really appreciative. You can head over to anchor.fm slash rob dash d5 slash support. And you can also find that link on through any platform that you're listening on, whether it be Apple or Spotify or Anchor or Overcast, wherever you find the podcast and you're listening to it, there should be a link to support the podcast somewhere in the show notes. Once again, much appreciative if that's possible. If not, continue to listen and that's way more support than I can ask for. Thank you guys.